We all want to feel better, be happier, and have more freedom. And there are endless resources at our fingertips. But wading through a sea of self-help books, podcasts, and workshops takes more time than anyone has. Except me. That's my job. I curate and translate the latest, most effective personal development wisdom to help you elevate your personal experience and improve the way you show up for others. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is Self-Helpful. In this episode, how to keep your joy hydrated by microdosing good feelings. I start with an analogy. The going thought is an adult should drink about half a gallon of water per day. But if you drink it all at once, first thing in the morning, you'll likely feel bloated. You'll pee most of it out. And if you don't have any more the rest of the day, you'll be completely dehydrated by evening. You need to be drinking water throughout the day to stay well and hydrated. That's the point. Now think of meditation, which at the core is an attempt to be present, to center yourself and to bring about positive feelings. If you do your five minutes or 55 minutes in the morning and then go about the grind for the rest of the day, you'll end up depleted. Instead, or in addition to this, new research shows the vast benefit of taking just five or even 15 seconds here and there throughout the day to microdose mindfulness. And this is more than just thinking of something you're grateful for, but to stop and focus on something positive and really feel it, whether it's something you can actually see like a mountain or a flower in your presence, or it's something you close your eyes to envision like we do in meditation. So my guest is Jake Eagle, who along with Michael Amster, they recently released their new book, The Power of Awe, Overcome Burnout and Anxiety, Ease Chronic Pain, Find Clarity and Purpose in Less Than One Minute Per Day, where they explain the why and the how of this method for a five to 15 second, three-step process for microdosing mindfulness, and where they discovered a clinically proven way to reduce inflammation, stress, loneliness and burnout while improving overall well-being. So just hours before our recording, Jake sent me a scientific report that published earlier that morning about this process. But along with this focus on awe and microdosing mindfulness, I also wanted Jake on the show because this was his response to my request to have him on the show. He said, I'm 67, semi-retired and wrestling with the reality that my old values no longer fit this stage of my life. I find semi-retirement to be quite a challenge and have not yet sorted myself out. I imagine a conversation with me may be potentially unsettling and raise more questions than it answers. Also, after having been a therapist for 30 years, I'm rather skeptical about many forms of therapy because when I look at how people are doing overall, I don't think the trajectory is very positive. Some of that we cover in part two, and you won't hear in this episode, but stay tuned and we get into that deeply. So stay tuned for a very deep and very candid conversation. The Self-Helpful Podcast was originated through the Zig Ziglar Corporation. If you're a coach or a consultant and want to add credibility, clients, and impact to your business, go to Ziglar.com today. Following these sponsors who help make the show possible and provide great resources for your life, I bring you a deep dive discussion with Jake Eagle on the power of awe and his own take on life after 30 years as a therapist to high performers. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances 
of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jake, in looking at the book and the message, just overall, you know, the power of awe, overcoming burnout and anxiety, ease chronic pain, find clarity and purpose in less than one minute per day. I want to start off at the beginning of just burnout and anxiety. I mean, we all, you know, everybody says they want to be happier. We want to be happier, but we want to do things to be happier. So I want to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go after this. I'm going to try to achieve this. And I feel the, you're calling us to, instead of going to do something, stop and be. And I, I hear that. And I know also it's not what most people want to do. It's kind of like with food, you know, it may be the best thing for you to do to fast. Well, nobody wants to buy that. Uh, we, we'd rather eat something than fast, anything than fast. And here we'd rather do something than stop and be, and yet it feels that's very much the platform of what you're asking us to do, even if it's just for a minute. Yes. Um, yes and no. Yes. Okay. However, what's unique about what we're doing is we don't just say go and be, we give you an actual step-by-step -step method to do that. So paradoxically, there's something you can do that results in you experience being, right? Okay. So very simple, very short process takes, we'll, we'll get into it later, but it takes 10, 15 seconds. But you have a specific way to put yourself in the experience of being present. Yeah. Let me play with another analogy. Because I, I just, I like having concepts that we can, we can look at, see if this one fits as well. And again, just appealing to people, appealing to our desire. We want to go, we want to do, we want to, we don't want to slow down. We want to speed up. Even in that aspect, I was thinking on this as I've been contemplating this message of all for a couple of weeks now of, it feels like we are running around. If we can think of a manual stick shift car running around in first gear, and we're just trying to go and trying to go. Would it also have a relevant aspect to say this is stopping to pause and be present and, and, and be in awe would also be a way to, hey, if you want to get into second gear, that's what you need to do. You're in first gear, you're topped out, put the clutch in, get off the gas, give it a second, 
And then you can flow into second gear and go faster, but you've got to do something. You don't just get from first gear to second gear without the pause. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that metaphor. The pause is basically going through neutral. You have to go through neutral to get from yes. first to second. Yes. Um, the typical approach to mindfulness is that it has a quality of neutrality, right? People say, sit in meditation. When a thought comes up, just let it go. Just let it go. Keep coming back to the present moment. A lot of people have a hard time doing that. It's not mm -hmm. as easy as it sounds. And there's something about neutrality that's not that appealing to people. In other words, just sit and be, don't think, doesn't necessarily result in people immediately feeling better. Mm -mm. And with the awe method, we've done an interesting thing, which is we've asked you to place your attention on something that you value or appreciate. So we're putting a little bit of, I don't know if you ever played pool, but the idea of putting English on the ball, uh -huh. we're putting a little bit of English on this practice where we're encouraging you to start by focusing on something you appreciate or value. As a result, you're going to have an experience that's rather enjoyable. It, it, it feels pretty wonderful when you do this, which is motivation for people to do it. Okay. So on that differentiate, because I have, I mean, I'm studying this, Jake, I'm, I've been studying it. It's, it's caused me and I'll share a little bit more later, but, uh, caused me to have some experiences. It's different, but I can't verbalize how, and I'm going to ask you if you can, it's different than just the mere gratitude. Cause we've been hearing that for a while. Just, you know, ha have gratitude, have a gratitude journal. Think about what you're grateful for. It's different because that it feels like that's an external. Okay. Yeah. I, I am, I am logically uh, grateful for whatever it is. It's different than stepping into an experience, but I don't know how to articulate that. Well, it is different. I agree with you. And the main difference is that all the practices that I know of, which help us access gratitude, they involve thinking. We're thinking about what it is we're grateful right. for, thinking about our kids, thinking about our spouse, thinking about our health. When we go into the emotion of awe, we stop thinking. We're no longer thinking. We enter a state that is actually timeless and wordless, which is interesting in that it makes it hard to describe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know. That's why I was grappling with it. Yeah, exactly. It and another piece of this too, as I'm just, and I'm just hitting the big concepts that came to me that I, that I found myself wrestling with and pondering was you, and it wasn't a uh, contrarian approach to meditation. Somebody wants to take 20 minutes or an hour and 20 minutes, whatever. That's awesome. That's great. Fantastic. As you said, most are, are not going to, and yet no, the analogy just came to mind. So we've been talking for a long time about sitting, right? Sitting all day is just not good for you. And I finally had somebody tell me, Kevin, even for you, even if you go out and do an epic, you know, hour, two hour ride or run or whatnot, and then come back and sit on your butt the rest of the day, you're still succumbing to the negative consequences of sitting all day. That one big block doesn't fix it. And you got me thinking about that in regards to meditation, doing that. You know, if I spend in the morning, 20 minutes, an hour, whatever, and then I go through the day at that, you know, maxed out in first gear, I'm still going to end up stressed out. I was thinking about it like just with water. Let's say we're supposed to drink half a gallon of water a day. Well, if I do that just first thing in the morning, all at once, 
I'm going to be bloated. I'm going to pee most of it out. And if I don't drink again, I'm going to be dehydrated by the evening. And so your aspect of microdosing felt like even if you are meditating, this is something that you would be best to add in in addition anyways. Yes? Yeah, absolutely. It's a compliment. If you have a meditation practice, great, stick with it, but then add this to it. And if you do have a hard time with meditation, which interestingly I do, um, then this is an alternative. And, and the metaphor I like is I think of our nervous system like a spring. And we start out in the day and our spring is fat, rather flexible. But then as things happen, the spring, our nervous system compresses, 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 gets tighter, more tension. But each time I take a moment of awe, I'm relieving some tension from the spring. And mm. so I never get to that place that I would have gotten to had I not taken a break several times during the day. I never get to that place of extreme exhaustion or burnout or overwhelm. And the telltale sign is when you're feeling that, that is the time to stop and, or there's a time to stop and do that. Explain though what you just said. You have a problem with meditation. Why? How? Well, there are different kinds of, uh, there are different ways we process information. And I tend to be auditory, which means I talk in my mind a lot. Many people do, but uh, it's extreme for me. My mind is going all the time. When I sit down on a cushion to meditate, I can't really stop it. I mean, I can get a little bit of a respite, maybe five, 10, 15 seconds, but I am unable to stop my mind. So I end up being critical of myself for my inability to quiet my mind. And so the process of meditation has a somewhat negative loop for me because I feel like I'm not really good at this. I even, I used to say, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? I, I no longer go there. Um, but I do find meditation to be uh, onerous. Are you, would you call yourself a, an auditory uh, learner or, or a visual learner? Like, are you going to listen to a podcast or an audio book? Are you going to read? I'm just curious. Um, both. I mean, the best way I learn is experientially. It's by doing things, being with people, seeing how they do them. But I would say that hearing something is my most natural way to take information in. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. You know, on the aspect of meditation, you talk in the book about it'd be great if we'd all go sit on a mountaintop or be in Hawaii like you are, or I wake up in the morning in, in a national forest and you know, I, I'm right there. We can't all do that. And so the aspect of meditation is also an effort to virtually be there in essence. But with, I'm, I'm asking that because with what you're talking about, can we say that is going to be more difficult for some people? to virtually take themselves there if they yes. can't physically take themselves there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, some people can do that very easily and other people it's very challenging. And we, uh, my wife and I put on retreats, we have been for years and we have people come who will ask them to do a very simple exercise of visualization. They just can't do it. They just cannot yeah. take themselves out of the literal experience that they're having right now. Well, I asked that because I'm thinking about myself as I normally am and wondering if I fall into that because I have a life trajectory 
where I have gone to put myself in those situations. So I literally, I live at 9,200 feet above sea level in a national forest. I did not know about meditation. I did not know, I wasn't not self-aware about myself. Uh, but I gravitated towards that because otherwise I could not find peace. And I wonder about that. Yeah. Cause I've always struggled with meditation as well with quieting my mind. And so I go put myself in those places, meaning there's some people that are listening to this that try as you might to meditate and visualize and put yourself at a place of peace in the middle of New York city. You may just not be able to, that's not great news. It's not a solution necessarily. It may just be something you got to deal with and figure out how to alter. It's not great news. And I do relate to it. I think like you, I mean, I've always lived in beautiful places and maybe that is compensatory for the fact that when I'm, when I used to go to Tokyo and work in the middle of the city, I would have a hard time calming myself down and feeling centered. And eventually what I learned to do was go and find a park and there are parks all over Tokyo. I'd go find a park and I would just hang out on the grass and with the trees. And that's what I needed for my system to relax, to let down. That word just compensatory is I think more and more important to me. When we think about that with kids, you know, if we've got a kid who's got ADHD or whatever problem, I mean, you're a therapist, you know that, then we try to cater to that issue. We cater to that pathology or whatnot. And here, as we are all dealing with being stressed, overwhelmed, uh, not happy, they're saying, here are some methodologies to get you there, but for some, it's going to be harder. You're going to have to take more, what would you say, affirmative action to achieve X. Yeah, it's about contextualizing, right? Figuring out what does each person need for themselves. And I think that um, when it comes to mindfulness, there are people like my wife, meditation, she's just incredibly natural and able to meditate. She does it with ease, always has. Uh, not true for me. Well, again, going back to, and I say this again with so much compassion because some people are not able to do this, but I'll walk out into the woods and pretty much every day I'm going to be out there. And I had not thought about it until reading your book, Jake, that when I do that, I'm out there. I don't then have to, I'm going to go out to the woods to meditate. I don't need to do that. I go out into the woods because it in and of itself, it is meditation. All the distractions are gone and it's the closest, it's the thing that's going to most serve me in quieting my mind, in stopping the thoughts. It may not dramatically, but it does a significant amount as, as opposed to when I'm sitting here in my office and it's just a thought gymnasium. Uh, and that that's what we're, that's what you're talking about. So if you can do that with meditation, but still even to look at, if you need to shut yourself in a closet or do whatever that that's, I guess I want people to feel okay about that. Whatever you've got to do to deal with your own issues. Yes. Yes. And, um, this sounds, uh, sort of self-promotional, but what I would suggest is that even if you're not capable of meditating with ease or practicing mindfulness, the awe method that we've developed may very well be a solution. For one thing, it takes 10 or 15 seconds. One of the reasons that people have a hard time with meditation is because they'll say, I don't have 10 minutes. I don't have 20 minutes. I've got to get stuff done. But if we say to those people, have you got 15 seconds? I've never heard anybody go, no, I I don't have 15 seconds to do something that may make me feel better. So it becomes so easy and so accessible that I think it is an 
it is an option for people who have found meditation to be difficult. Well, you mentioned before we started talking or recording that you were just recently on Dan Harris's show. Uh, I had Dan on uh, back when he had his book out, 10% 10 Happier, which is his uh, podcast title as well. And I remember him talking to this nature that he's at the place now where he can jump in a cab, sit down, and he can go there. Maybe just for a minute, but he can go there. That's that's ninja uh, level ability that that he's also groomed himself for. I mean, we're talking about neural pathways, that this is something that we train ourselves for. And so in that also, I assume you would say, yeah, nobody should be good at this right off the bat. Now your methodology, but I would, nobody should be at meditation overall. It's something you learn to do better, but yours is obviously a much lower bar for entry point. Much lower bar. Um, probably you take yourself not quite as far into a state of mindfulness, but you do it repeatedly throughout the day. So three, four or five times a day, you're doing this very simple practice. And each time you do it, you're resetting your nervous system. I also meant to start off saying uh, congratulations on your new scientific paper. Uh, yeah, that just came out this morning. I, I, I was reading it. So scientific reports. Yeah, it's cool. So as we're recording, came out this morning uh, and I, I pulled out a piece from it, Jake, that said, uh, awe is an emotion long theorized to benefit the mind and body. This thesis is supported in a recent review of how the awe felt across five domains, nature, music, collective movement, psychedelics, and spiritual, spiritual contemplation and the benefits of the mental and physical health. Uh, that, that brings me just into talking about awe. Now you have awe as an acronym and I want to get into that, but even the word awe. And when I first saw your book, this is always bothered me that we have so diluted the word awe. Yes. Uh, just like we have, you know, love, uh, you know, I'm in love with you and I, I love peanut butter. It's not, does it kind of, kind of dilutes it. I, you know, I climbed Everest and it was awesome. And this burrito was awesome. We've kind of lost the, the, the true aspect of awe. So I'm a, I'm a word guy. And, you know, when you look it up as a definition, a feeling of reverential respect, mixed with fear or wonder. I, I like that. that if yeah. we're, we're getting to the core of what is really, what's the awe? And you're saying we can experience that in you know, uh, uh, the ritual of making a great cup of tea in that's essence. Right. That's right. And that's what's unique about our research. All the prior research done on awe, they use sources that were extraordinary, whether it was virtual reality or whether it was taking people to stand at the base of a redwood tree or taking people to the Grand Canyon, but these are extraordinary sources of awe. And what we said is sources of awe are around us all the time. We don't have to have something extraordinary. We can find it in the ordinary. I thought about it, made my own kind of list of moments that of awe and you know, reverence and overcoming with, with mountains. Again, I live out here and Pikes Peak kind of dwarfs everything. And just the beauty of of the nature, music. Um, I thought about even sometimes the you know seeing us. I'm not a big sports guy now. I mean, I was I was a pro athlete, but you know, there's moments in sports. I think when people see an incredible feat, watching the Olympics can often I I can cry over and over watching the Olympics when somebody just pushes himself to the limit and does something that that you can feel that all oh, we feel it. Uh, obviously, you know, sex. 
which interestingly, I thought about no sex with another person, not masturbation. I don't think we feel awe there. We feel something good, but it's not the awe of sex, seeing a child, seeing an infant, being in a flow state. And I thought about these things and you got me thinking about making a list. I don't want a day to go by when I don't feel awe. Now those are big things though. Now, again, I want to bring it back to you saying that we can also just in some ordinary moments. And I like the word, I mentioned tea because my brother talked about it recently and he loves the ritual of going and making a nice cup of tea. And I, I can tap into that. Now, does that come across as awesome? Like Pike's peak that I live by? Not necessarily, but it's more than it's a, I think, I think what you said though, it's, it, we're not just thinking about something. Oh, I'm grateful for it. We're, we're trying to experience it and tap into the feeling. Yeah. We're transcending yeah. our normal experience of being alive just momentarily, just for a moment. We're taking ourselves beyond what is normal for each of us and having an experience that actually is hard to put into words. And the way I think of it is what we're really doing is we're shifting our level of consciousness and we're getting in touch with the miracle of being alive. <sighs> and, and when we do that, we just entered a different world and yeah. it is a world that's reverential. I, I love that word reverential and sacred and even the word ritual I like, as opposed to, Hey, I have a routine. I get coffee. I, I want a ritual around these things that I do. I have a ritual of cooking and putting music on and a glass of wine. It's a, a, a re I like word reverential. I'll be using that more after this. Your acronym, though, of awe is attention, wait, exhale, and expand. And I'll ask you just to unpack that real quick for us. Yeah. So uh, we start off by asking people to place your attention on something that you value, appreciate, or find to be amazing. And it could be something that's in your presence right now. It could be the photograph behind you that I'm seeing, or it could be a memory. It doesn't have to be in your physical surroundings. Um, it could be connecting with your wife, with your child, with your dog, with your cat, whatever it is. There are different realms that we can use to connect with awe. But the idea is to begin by finding something that captures your attention and you value it, you deeply appreciate it. That's where it begins. Typically, that's with an inhalation. Typically, you inhale during that stage. Then there's a pause, which is the W, wait. And when I say wait, I'm talking only two, three seconds, wait, where you just give 110% of your attention to whatever it is that you're focused on. And when you give that level of attention, it quiets the mind. We can talk about it more later, but it quiets something called the default mode network, which is where all of our internal chatter is happening. So now our mind is completely quiet. We're focused on something we value. And then you exhale a little bit longer than normal. And when we exhale, particularly a long exhalation, we activate something called the vagus nerve and it induces a state of relaxation and whatever sensations are in our body will be amplified. Well, the sensations that were in our body were positive because we had started by focusing on something we value or appreciate. And so that's the process. It can be done in one breath cycle, or if it's a little bit extended, it might be two or three breath cycles, but it's very brief. 
it, it it's brief intentionally because if you were to try to hang out there, your mind would come in. You would start labeling, commenting, yeah. and evaluating. I live high up in the Rocky Mountains where the air is clean and fresh as possible, but then I step indoors and I'm breathing in untold amounts of toxins and allergens from paint and carpet and cleaning chemicals and pets and furniture and appliances and mold and so on. Studies show the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air anywhere you are. And in some places it's a hundred times worse than that. Well, the solution is to get an air purifier and air doctor is just the best out there. It filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen and pet dander and dust mites and mold and even bacteria and viruses so your lungs don't have to try to do that. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com. You can use the promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get the special deal, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com. Use promo code Kevin. Friends, I'm pretty candid about my lack of financial prowess. Money and numbers are fairly Greek to me, so I need a lot of guidance. One of my closest friends is a wildly successful wealth manager, and I'm working on some financial literacy and just continually seeking guidance. So I ask you to check out yahoofinance.com. Nobody knows it all on Yahoo Finance is an incredible resource for the rookies like me or the seasoned investors. You know, before my dad passed away recently, Dave Ramsey and his wife, Sharon, flew down to visit. We all got to spend a day together. And I was at yahoofinance.com just now. I saw multiple news flashes from Dave and other people that you respect. And they were hitting so many of the hottest areas in finance today. So it's a place to get a snapshot of all aspects of your financial interests. And if you have them, your portfolios. I hadn't realized Yahoo Finance is the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. So for your comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. One more time. YahooFinance.com. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top-tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin.
You know, on a physiological aspect of that, you talking about the, uh, I'm going to call it an extended exhale. I do a good, just because of dealing with my own uh, propensity for anxiety and shoulders up and just running too fast. Uh, box breathing has become a, a very consistent thing for me to stop even at night to do that, to quiet my mind, to, to box breathe with folks. You can look it up out there, but it's in essence that, you know, you can have a count, a four count, a six count, whatever of breathing in through your nose, hold it, exhale, and then breathe in through your, or breathe in through your, exhale through your mouth, hold it. And then what, and do it in a, uh, you know, four seconds of each or six seconds of each or whatever it is. But what you just said, I feel like the thing that does the most or that affects me the most is just that the extended exhale, which I can so easily miss. We're so used to taking a big maxed out deep breath and then we let it out and then take another one and we don't really push it out. And it's the pushing out that I feel is what it, literally I can feel it in my head. I mean, you can, you can start getting tingly from that. It feels to me, it feels like that's the important part. I'm not the expert. You are. No, but, that's right. It, it, think of it as kind of the 80-20 rule. It's the last 20% where the okay. value is. Okay. Yeah. You're, what you just described uh, previously there, and you pointed to the, it's a picture over my uh, shoulder here. And it's my, it's me with, I think it's six of my kids. I counted it the other day. One of my kids is missing. I don't remember where they were, but it's a picture was taken. It's not far from my house out in a field, amazing Pikes Peak view, probably about 90, 9,500 feet or so. And a friend took the picture. He lives in California. Somehow he got a hold of a redwood uh, that you don't normally get a hold of, but he got access to some and he made me that frame. And when I see it, I haven't thought about this till now, Jake, but you're bringing me to the, why it impacts me is because I don't just look at it with gratitude and think, oh, that was cool. I look at that and I can step into it. I can feel it. I can, and it just, it can bring me to tears. And it feels like that again is the difference of, I, I want to pull that out because I don't want people to look at, oh yeah, it's another one of those books on gratitude. It, it's not gratitude. And I hadn't thought about it until you said that is thinking. This is taking a moment. And that's what I keep thinking or, or coming to is to step into the feeling, which we're all ultimately saying is to, is to trigger the emotion. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's the sensation that's so rich and powerful as compared to just having a thought. Huh. Here's another, I, I don't know why it is Jake that you, the book got me into thinking of so many word pictures. I, I was literally studying it the other day. And I think that day I went out into the woods three different times because uh, I just, you just had me there. And so I just kept going out to sit and to think through this. And I found myself thinking about or envisioning having a car in a garage. It's dark and it's dark outside. And, you know, you open the garage, you flip the headlights on and you go and you just see what's in front of you. And that's what you drive. You just see, it's a very narrow view and you're just going forward that that's what we tend to do as opposed to, if I put myself in that situation, get into the car. And before I open the door, maybe I do, but it's dark as I, before I do anything, flip on the lights inside and just look around and kind of take stock of where, where am I? How am I? How are things? Is there any strangers stuck in the back of the car? You know, do I have everything that I need that we don't tend to do that? And that's what it feels like you're saying. We're going along, headlights are on. We're just going forward, looking at whatever's there, taking things in, reacting. And you're saying, just 
just pause a minute, kind of that put the clutch in, stop at a light, what stop at a stop, stop light or whatever, turn the interior lights on and turn, you know, in your mind and just be present. And, and what blows me away, Jake, is that we don't do that. And I cannot, I, I don't often do that. I'm 52 years old. And how much of my life have I spent not just a day, but a week or a month or a year and didn't do it once in essence, not intentionally. It's, that's, uh, it's tragic ultimately, which I guess is why you wrote the book. Yeah, it's a lot of things. It's, uh, it reminds me, my mentor once said to me, stop looking and see. Hmm. And that's what your metaphor reminds me. We're, we're driving and hmm. we're looking, right? We're looking ahead all the time, but we're not in the moment and seeing. Um, I, I have a unique experience because I live with someone, my wife, whose name is Hannah, and that's how she lives. She's very aware of her sensations all the time. Hmm. And I've been trying to emulate her for the last 10 years because it looks great. <laughs> um, but it's not that easy for me to do. For her, it's completely natural. She just, she turns on the lights in the car. She looks around. She takes it all in. She feels it. She smells it. She senses everything. That's how she goes through the world. And it's very uncomplicated. It's a very yeah. uh, simple way of being. You have a statement in the book. I think it was in the book, not the not the white paper. Uh, and you said you're we're looking to do this. Step into this moment of awe again. Fifteen seconds, a minute, whatever it is. And you said your nervous system shifts so that your fight, flight, or freeze response becomes less active, and your rest and digest function becomes more active. And that that be the, this anxious culture that we're in, where we are always so often responding in a fight, flight, or freeze. Uh, well, we're having that response. We're always in there. And I can relate to that. Reacting, right? Yeah. 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 Reacting. Yeah. And um, the the one of the things we talk about a little bit in our book is that Many approaches to relaxation are encouraging us to shift from the sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight flight, to the parasympathetic, which is the either rest and digest, or sometimes it's called rest and repair. Okay. The emotion of awe is a little bit unique. Um, imagine, a, imagine a ladder, there's 10 rungs, and the bottom, which is zero, would be totally relaxed, completely parasympathetic. And the top rung, number 10, would be highly sympathetic, fighting or fleeing, and a tiger's chasing you. So a lot of mindfulness practices are trying to get us down to rung zero or one or two. What happens with awe is very unusual, which is it's probably rung three. In other yeah. words, we are predominantly in rest and digest, but there's a little bit of energy, a little bit of sympathetic energy, and it's referred to as a playful state. Uh, the person who created, I, I don't want to digress too much, but the gentleman who created polyvagal theory, his name is Dr. Stephen Porges. Uh, he was very interested in our work and he's the one who identified it's this extremely unique place in our nervous system. Again, I'm saying rung three, maybe it's four. I don't really know, but we're deeply relaxed, 
and slightly energized. And his, his uh, description was, it's very much like when we're being playful, um, also uh, similar to when we're making love. It has this very unique quality to it that's extremely attractive when we experience it. You Would this be uh, relevant in experience? I feel like that's what I experience when I am not in my office with an idea necessarily, but I may be on the beach. That's our getaways. You know, we live in the mountains, but I may be on the beach and we'll go to one of the, you know, all inclusive resorts or something like that. And there's nothing that you have to do. You just sit and be. And I'll often still though have ideas. A lot of times I have a book there, but I have it and I have no intent to do anything with it necessarily. I'm just enjoying the idea or I'm, I'm disassociating from having to do something from, from, uh, from grasping onto, I, okay, I need to take this and get a result and I can just enjoy it. So I'm relaxed, but I'm energized and I've not thought about that till now. I don't do that enough. Energized and also creative. You're describing yeah. a creative state. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Letting go. Does that relate though? If we let go that we're going to experience that more when we don't have to attach ourselves to a result with it necessarily. Right. Absolutely. Okay. And that's why when we're in awe and we're not thinking about a result, it has this wordless quality. It's hard to put it into words because as we do that, it's, it's reductionistic. We're trying to take this remarkable experience and reduce it into words, which when we do that, we lose something. I agreed. So you talk about this being a shortcut to transcendence. And I want to hit on that word because especially from the Bible Belt South that I grew up in, transcendence, that's a woo-woo word, you know, and, and, and we don't understand that. And yet, again, just to come back to the word, to transcend something, it ultimately is, you know, to, to move beyond just the immediate thing. We would, I mean, in therapy, you're trying to, you know, have somebody transcend the feeling of the moment, talking about reacting and say, can you just stop and, and be present, take a moment and respond, transcend that immediate emotion and that reaction. Well, that's something that we can all, I think, understand. Is that a fair way yeah. to put it? Yeah, beautiful, okay. right. So transcend, so, so uh, to transcend, if we can, I mean, ultimately, if we're gonna you know, put the word you want next to it, if it's, if it's uh, enlightenment or um, uh, we wanna transcend everything. We wanna transcend every moment. I and mean, if I could flip a switch, I would be able to transcend every moment of my day to a degree, wouldn't I? Well, there's some absolutely beautiful, lovely moments that you wouldn't wanna transcend. You would want to marinate in. Okay. Right. So I think what we're really talking about is transcending the way that we live on autopilot. So many yeah. of us are on autopilot, kind of living unconsciously. And that's what we want people to transcend, to go beyond that, to wake up, to wake up to what it means to be alive. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, as we look at this back to the aspect of meditation, that it'd be great if everybody could walk out into a national forest or out into Hawaii where you are and experience. I mean, you can't not re recognize the awe. If you can, like your wife, be able to do that just about anywhere. She can, she can stop and she can do that anywhere. That's great. At the end of the day, though, what we're saying is, aren't we, that whatever you need to do to alter the, to transcend, to alter the state of your mind, 
which to a degree is almost, and I, I, I am hesitant to, to just state it like that, but it is, it's a mind game. Our life, our day to day, I mean, we're talking about a big mind game and it's in essence, whatever you need to do. And maybe it's unfortunate that I have to go to the great effort to live in a national forest, to bring myself to a state of transcendence because I can't do it otherwise. Maybe I'm the weakest person out there in essence, or I'm the most difficult person because I have to go to that great of a length to just play a mind game that somebody else may be able to do at any moment, at any time, in any circumstance. But your point is that it's up to each of us to figure out what we need to do, what will allow us to transcend or to wake up or to be fully alive or to reach our potential, however you want to describe it. And it's going to be different things for different people. Um, you know, you could think of yourself as having a limitation and because of that limitation, you need to live where you are. Uh -huh. Um, or, you know, I, or another way to frame it is that you're more sensitive to your surroundings than some people, and mm. you need to be in a particular kind of surrounding for you to really get in touch with yourself and be creative and feel your best. Well, as you know, as a therapist, we all have so many things to overlay on us. And you, bring, you just said the word sensitive. We recently had Andre Solo on the show, his book is called Sensitive, and it's on specifically HSPs, highly sensitive people, which I was fairly blown away to realize how uh, high on the spectrum I am uh, in that area. So if we look at people, well, so is that fair to say? If the more, would you, would you say that if you, the more sensitive you are, put a spectrum, you know, where we all are to some degree, but the more sensitive you are, you likely are going to, ha or you're likely going to be better served to try to immerse yourself into supporting environments and somebody else may need to. Yeah, absolutely. You experience uh, yes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Although, again, I want to repeat this, that you can find it wherever you are because awe is within you. It is yeah. in your memories. It is in your imagination. You can access it no matter where you are. I think there's one story in the book about Viktor Frankl who wrote Man's Search for Meaning. And if people aren't familiar with him, he was in the concentration camp Auschwitz during the war. And he, he just is this extraordinary man who is in this absolutely unbearable situation. And he decides to use it to try to better understand people and better understand human nature. And so he studies people while he's there and he ends up developing his own therapeutic model. But while he's there, he's writing on scraps of paper, which eventually he turns into a book, but he describes moments of awe while being a prisoner at Auschwitz. And it just says to me that they are around us, no matter how difficult our circumstances are if we learn to look for them, if we learn to see the possibilities. Well, and if anybody has not read uh, Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, it's got to be one of the top all time. If, you, if I put it in the self-help category, I don't know if there's anything that's sold more than that. It is, uh, I just purchased one again because we were talking about it. I couldn't find a copy, purchased it, read it again. And it's it's mind blowing. It's convicting. I, I don't want to, I don't know how to say it in a way because I don't want to, uh, I'm not criticizing any of us, but when you look at his depiction, it, 
it kind of puts us in our place. I think gives us some perspective. None of us are being starved, beaten and abused uh, and bereft in a concentration camp. And for his ability to do that is pretty convicting that we should have the ability. As you said a second ago, we can access it. We can step in that moment, but we still have to, it's still, it's still an exercise. I mean, it's still, this is an intentional thing. It's not just going to happen Again, reading your book has, has increased my awareness. But if I don't stay on top of it, it will just dissipate. It will dissipate. There is some evidence to suggest that if you do it enough, it will move from being a state which you make an effort to access, and it will become a trait. It will become part of your personality. Um, my own experience with it is that after doing this for almost three years, I just have spontaneous moments of awe. Now, yeah. it's also easy because I live in a beautiful place, sure. but every day, numerous times, I'll just look at something and I'll realize awe is ar ar arising within me. And I'll just stop, turn the lights on in the car to go back to your metaphor and appreciate where I am, appreciate who I'm with. And um, it's very comforting. Another word that you use, if we pick on awe and how we've diluted that, this is a word we don't use that much. And you, you use the word captivated. And yeah. I got to thinking about that. And again, the definition, I pulled it out to attract and hold the interest and attention of, and it does use, they use the word charm uh, in there a lot, but to attract and hold the interest and attention. And we're talking about, you're calling us to be captivated by Again, for some people, it may be a goofy analogy, but whatever it is, a, a, a flower in your home, a, a cup of tea, your child, uh, a picture like I have behind me that brings back a memory, but let yourself be captivated. And what I thought is, I don't think that's a word we use much, that we associate with, with much. And yet we're at a standpoint now where I don't know that we have ever been more captivated more often by anything than we are today. And it's our uh, devices. And the ability to get on there and to see, I was gonna say a kid, but anyone get captivated by what Instagram, uh, which is, well, I was gonna say it's tragic. Now, if you're looking at pictures of Instagram, I've seen feeds on there and you know, it's great mountain scenes. Maybe that's a way to go. Maybe that's a place to go. Get on there and look at a picture of Pikes Peak or of Hawaii and let yourself step in and feel that though. If you haven't done it before, is it really possible to step in and do that? I don't know. I'm smiling. I don't, I don't use Instagram. I don't use social media much, but I laugh when I, we, sometimes we'll go to the beach here and there'll be people sitting on the beach chair, looking at their phone, looking at a video of Hawaii, but they're here. <laughs> right? That's, uh, they're captivated. Well, again, that's why I'm bringing it. So we, it feels like we may have more ability than ever to be captivated because we're experiencing it. We get captivated on our phone by whatever. And so you're saying, okay, can you just take that now and ca be captivated by something, uh, something tactile, something around you that you can actually step into? Because I don't find that we're doing that. It feels like when we're looking at a screen, we are not necessarily stepping. I don't know. Is that fair though? Cause I'm talking about doing it to a picture here. Um, well, that picture, that picture is so rich with memory and that picture includes your kids and it includes the yeah. redwood frame and the person who gave it to you. It's, it's just got so much meaning to you. 
all of that comes up versus looking at somebody else's photograph of something beautiful yes. on your phone. It's just not the same. That, that's what I was, I, that's what I was picking at Jake yeah. is can we experience it, step into awe, be captivated by something in the way that you're calling what? Well, what, what just this reminded me of is my grandson who I'm, I'm generalizing terribly here, but he does not access awe easily because he spends so much time on his phone. Yeah. So when we ask him to put his attention on the real world, I think at times it doesn't compare to what he sees on his phone. He's like, yeah, yeah, that's nice. But he sees things on his phone that I guess to him are extraordinary. And as you say, captivating, but I think it's captivating in a different way. Oh, that's what I was going to pull at. And so I'm going to ask you to uh, pull at that with me that can we achieve awe and, and transcendence and captivation as you're talking about with something that we have not or cannot actually experience, meaning maybe we can do it. I was gonna say voyeuristically, but virtually like I can do that. This picture, I'm not standing in that field right now, but I was there. So I can right. step into that, that the, you know, the glass of wine that I may feel reverence, you know, reverentially enjoy. I mean, I know what that's like. And, you know, even on, this is, this is a jump, but even on Instagram, people will send me uh, cycling things. And often what you see mountain biking, road cycling, whatever, and it'll show wrecks. And I, I don't like to see it because I, I know what that feels like. It's a, uh, it's a visceral feeling, but you can show me something else that I've not experienced and it's not the same thing. So we're trying to connect it to something we are experiencing, or maybe we have, is that a, is that I think so. I think relevant? you're onto something because I think if we don't have any experience with it, it's not going to stimulate the sensation in our body. Um, you know, if you were to ask me to look at somebody doing something extraordinary, but I've never done it. Yeah. Um, Cirque, Cirque du Soleil. And I watch people do things. I find yeah. it amazing, but I, I can't imagine really what it's like. I don't have that sensation in my body. That's. That's interesting. Yeah. I can, I can be impressed more than impressed. I can be captivated by another person's capabilities, which is what you spoke about earlier, right. watching athletes. I, I happen to love tennis and right now the, uh, the French open is happening and there's a couple of players who are just extraordinary what they can do, the way they move. Yeah. The, the, right. Um, and I, and I, now that's interesting because I used to play tennis. So maybe that's why, it's so moving to me. I actually can relate to it. Huh. I, I'm, I'm thinking about scenes like that. So you're, you know, you're in Hawaii and it was really a, sh a relatively short time ago before I really experienced the ocean. I don't know what it's been, probably a decade. Eh, it's probably been longer than that, maybe 15 years, but it just wasn't a part of my life. I saw lots of you know, scenes of a sunset over the ocean or whatever. And it was, it was, it was beautiful, you know, but I didn't relate to it. Now, when I see that I can step into it because I've experienced it over and over and over. I had two weeks where every night I was on the beach at sunset with a glass of wine and a great book. And now I can step into it, but that feels important that if you're trying to achieve this in something that you have not had some level of experience with, it's probably not going to bring us to the state of awe that you are describing. 
I think that's right. Um, I hadn't really thought about this until you brought it up, but I believe it's part of why we got such good results when we did our study is because we were asking people to access awe based on things that were very immediate and real to them. Uh, yeah. So they did have the sensation in their body. They had the experience of being moved, of being captivated. Um, now, there are different kinds of awe. We, we talk about sensorial awe, which is primarily what you and I've been talking about. That's where your senses come alive and you have a, a visceral experience of what it, what's going on. Then there's also interconnected awe, which is when you're connected to your partner, your children, your pets. And it's something about the connection with another human being that's so moving and so profound. And then the third category is conceptual awe. And that's where you, you hear an idea that you can barely get your mind around. It's just so extraordinary. I'll give you uh, an example. I'm not sure I'm remembering it completely accurately. But if you take all the atoms of every human being on earth and you remove all the space that's around them, they would fit inside of an apple. Yeah, I, 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 it, it, it's just, it's, it's so extraordinary. You, you can't conceptualize it, but it also has a quality of awe. It, it yeah. just takes me somewhere that I've never been before. And when it's conceptual awe, I don't think you need to have an experience. I don't think you need to relate to it experientially. I, I agree, though you did just get me thinking about the recent phenomenon that we've had in our culture with people who have gone out into space and the overview effect. Right. Uh, yeah, my brother Jared is very involved in that, worked with the folks that uh, were part of William Shatner going up in space. And of course, he's the poster child now of the overview effect, which in essence is saying he experienced a dramatically in-depth uh, period of awe that yeah. has literally changed his life. And now he's trying to change other people's lives through that message. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. I mean, another piece of this that that you brought me to, Jake, was just this reality that, and I was talking with my kids about it recently because it's summertime, and uh, we have a phenomenon now that didn't exist when you and I were kids, where kids are, don't have to ever be bored at all. They have a device, or if they do have access to a device, they do not ever have to have one moment. And I've seen this with my kids, and I've... Uh, take an action against it where, you know, we can watch a movie together and if somebody has to pause it to, you know, go to the bathroom, it's boom, here comes out a, a, a phone if they've got it and they're on that. And I mean, there's not a second. I mean, you don't take a pause and look out the window or say something to somebody. It's just right onto a screen. And I see that culturally. I can tend to do that. If I've, ta I've taken proaction, proactive action towards myself to not do that. Like, how about not take the phone to the bathroom? You know, we used to have a, at least a pause right then, you know, <laughs> just sit down and be for a second in the bathroom. I mean, driving and commuting, people come to a stop at a stoplight for 30 seconds and pull out their phone. And I know because I'm the guy honking at them when they don't go, when the light actually turns green, but we don't, we don't wait in line. That's the funny thing. We've talked about it so often that now you, you kind of feel like an outcast if you stand in line for your coffee and don't be on your phone. 
uh, and you feel like, gosh, I, I have, I have nothing. I, I must not be very important or busy. Everybody else has stuff that they're involved in on their phones. And I'm going to sit here or stand here and just look around and people think I'm a psychopath. Uh, it's very, it's, it's a weird world, but I think we still, we talk about it. There's books about it, but we don't conceptualize how we don't take even as you talk about one minute to just right. stop and be present. And it, and you're seeing the ramifications, even from a clinical standpoint of that, this is not working out well for us. Yeah. And, and it's transformed, uh, many people who were in the study now use those moments at a stoplight or while they're in line at Starbucks and they use those moments intentionally to have a moment of awe. Find mm -hmm. something that mm -hmm. really does transcend your experience so that you're not looking at your phone so that you're not just continuing to be busy. It is an alternative. It is a practice that gives us another way of being in the world. Yeah, it, it almost, I was, I was literally talking, I had a group, uh, we have a group that, that meets every week, Jake, and, and I was talking about this concept with them and just said, yeah, I'm, I got this guy in the show. We're going to be talking about this. And at the time I thought about it and I forgot about it already. And I thought of taking a day and setting my watch or my smartphone or whatever, just to beep, do a little alert. You know, you can do those repetitive alarms or whatever every hour. I've done it before for different health and wellness things. Like every hour, you know, take this supplement or every hour, do whatever, take an, an hour and just, and you're calling it, just take whatever, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, look around or close my eyes or whatever I need to do and step into it and, and experience it. Yeah. I think experience I need to it. Get, get good at it. Make it a practice, make it something that you're able to do numerous times a day. I love the idea. Do it once an hour. Um, I do want to, I'm going to jump, jump forward in the book. There was something that I pulled out that just, it just jumped out at me. So I'm going to honor that. And it's a latter part of the book, I believe maybe midway. And you talk about three levels of consciousness, safety, heart, and spacious. I know why it hit me. It just came to me, Jake. I know why it hit me. We had a show recently where we were talking about, uh, Maslow's hierarchy, uh, which folks, and, and what was the show that it was, uh, Jordan Grummet, a, a doctor, a hospice doc. And we were talking about that and how Maslow's hierarchy, it starts off at the bottom with just basically just taking care of yourself, pay the bills, uh, safety, security, just kind of the basics and the evolution, uh, up to the very top of self-actualization and how we often never get there and how ridiculous it is that we have it that way. It should be flipped. Why don't we start with self-actualization? We do that. Well, much more easily. Uh, be able to take care of things here. I, that's why I thought of it. That's why it stuck out and resonated because you talk about three levels of consciousness, safety, heart, and spacious. And as I looked at it, I thought, yeah, that's where we as a culture tend to live. Our entire existence is right there in safety. And we rarely tap into heart, much less spacious. So give us a, a break that down for us real quick. Yeah, this is a really uh, bigger picture. This is bigger than the picture of awe. Safety consciousness is predominantly where we spend the vast majority of time. I'm thinking 95, 98% of our time. It's all about getting things done, being productive, taking care of business, taking care of the kids, making sure we feel fundamentally safe and that our loved ones are safe. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's valuable, but it's also limiting. 
if we go to the next level, we call that heart consciousness. And that's when we're in a state of gratitude. Yeah. We've talked about this a little bit before. And there's a lot of research that says being in a state of gratitude has all sorts of physiological and emotional benefits. Probably the best research out there is with heart math. And it's really valuable. It's easy to do. We're all capable of it. We just shift from thinking about being productive to focusing on what we value or appreciate. But it too involves a lot of thinking and it involves effort. If we go even further, we access what we're referring to as spacious consciousness. This is a state that has been talked about for thousands of years, and it is typically achieved through some kind of contemplative practice, whether that's prayer, whether it's meditation, whatever it is, but it's usually a fairly arduous practice that takes time, often years before we get good at it. What we think we've done is we found, and this is where early in the book we say we think we stumbled on a shortcut to transcendence. Yeah. We think we found a quick way for people to access spaciousness, and that's through the emotion of awe. Because very quickly, when I focus on something that I personally experience as awesome, and I take myself into this state of spaciousness, time disappears. I don't have words. I'm in, I'm in a completely different state of consciousness. When we're in a different state of consciousness, we make meaning in different ways. We interpret the world in different ways. Our voice quality changes. Our heart rate changes. Our heart rate variability changes. It, it's a yeah. profound way to bring about a shift. And so that was... The, the work on levels of consciousness is something that my wife and I had developed in about 10 years ago. But then when my co-author, Michael Amster, and I did the research on awe, we realized what was happening is we were giving people a quick way to access spacious consciousness. That, use the word contemplative. Yes. I adore the word. Uh, the concept uh, of the word and feel again, it's something that we have lost. And yet when we look back to some of our great historical figures, they, they, that was, that was a high value. It's kind of like the, uh, you know, back in the day, back in the fifties, uh, a poster board or, or an ad or a billboard for, for the wealthy would show them at leisure on a yacht with a cigarette, you know, and carefree that that was wealth and abundance today, that same, uh, ad would show them, you know, in a car with a driver and a laptop on the phone, uh, super busy. They're super important. We don't do leisure anymore in the same way. We don't do contemplative, uh, time anymore. And yet the greatest works that we would have on our bookshelves or in our history were people who put their priority on uh, contemplative time. They, Go in a room, shut the door, time to think. And, and again, we've fallen away from that. And well, and that's why people have ended up on your therapy couch, I assume. Yep. That's one of them. That's right. Yeah. Um, this is something I mean, we could talk about nonstop. I, I, I do, I, I, of course, promote everybody's book, but this is one to work through. Jake, I've been working through. Uh, your book, and I'll continue uh, to do that and to bring it to, uh, yeah, I want it to be, I, I literally, I'm going to, that's my next exercise. I'm going to do the hour. I'm going to do a yeah. few days of that. 
let the alarm go off every hour and take a moment and and let it be a moment. And if the moment ends up being three minutes or ends up being 30 seconds, take a moment and see, because I have not done that. I've, I've been more of, you know, hey, let's do the morning, kind of like my analogy, you know, drink all the water in the morning and then just go and you end up dehydrated at the end of the day, as opposed to doing it uh, little by little and keeping myself hydrated to do that, the micro doses of awe. So I'll do that and report back to you and to the audience here. I'd love to hear that. And I would encourage you to hold the word reverential because okay. I think for you personally, it's going to be very motivating. Okay. Well, this discussion is very motivating. I'm anxious to keep it going, but uh, we'll wrap up part one here. Thank you. Thank you guys for the work that you've done to bring this out. And um, we'll keep talking and I'll keep learning. Thank you, Jake. Great to be with you. Nice to connect. All right, friends, this was part one with Jake Eagle on the book he co-authored with Michael Amster. It's called The Power of Awe, Overcome Burnout and Anxiety, Ease Chronic Pain, Find Clarity and Purpose in Less Than One Minute Per Day. Coming up next in my Values and Habits episode with Jake, uh, we discuss his take on having been a therapist for 30 years. And as he said, I'm rather skeptical about many forms of therapy because when I look at how people are doing overall, I don't think the trajectory is very positive. Uh, and I actually started off with his statement about him feeling like his values of old don't fit him today. That's how we start the show off. I think you'll want to hear where we went with those topics. Thank you for tuning in to this self-helpful podcast where I strive to help you and me elevate our personal experience and the way we show up for others. Stay driven, my friends.